You know, I, I couldn't tell you what I was wearing. Couldn't tell you what type of lunchbox or matching backpack that I probably had. I can distinctly, though, remember stepping into second grade, Miss Anderson's classroom for the first time for, well, two reasons. Number one, she's always reminded me of kind of the mother hen, mother goose type of of person. You you know, like from the cartoon Robin Hood, the the caretaker over Maid Marian, she kind of reminded me of that. And number two, I distinctly remember so much about the way she would corral us unruly children because she would do this thing. She'd always lean in. Hey, watch, watch, listen, listen. Eyes and ears, eyes and ears, boys and girls. Watch, watch, listen, listen. Because whenever she did that, what it meant was pay attention. I don't want you to miss out on this, it's important. Or I need you to get your attention because I don't want you to get hurt. Or whatever it may be, it was this way for her to show her power, her authority, coming together out of love and compassion to teach us as kids. Watch, watch, listen, listen, she would say. Pay attention to what's coming next. I have something amazing to show you. I don't want you to miss out on what's about to happen next. Eyes and ears, boys and girls, eyes and ears, watch, watch, listen, listen. And as we wrap up our teaching series through the book of James, I've been kind of thinking about that, that, that season, that year of my life, because that's kind of what James has been doing to the church. He's been saying to this group of Christians that he's writing to, watch, watch, listen, listen. I've told you about trials and suffering ahead of endure. I've told you about how we're supposed to live out our faith in word, in deed, in action. I've told you about wise living. Watch, watch, listen, listen to what God may want to do in your life, in the world around you, if you would pay attention to his will. That's what the book of James has been all about. Wise living, choosing to live in God's world, God's way. And if we could wrap up the book of James this morning, I want to kind of take us back to a quick recap of who James is and the whole kind of big idea of his letter. That James is the half-brother of Jesus. They shared the same mom, not the same dad, if you catch my drift. And the thing about James is, think about it, if there's anyone who didn't want to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if there's anyone who didn't want to believe in Jesus as Messiah, wouldn't it have been his half-brother? Wouldn't it have been the guy who kind of grew up and always had to hear, well, if only you could be more like your brother Jesus, wouldn't that be the guy who would kind of write and say, yo, forget everything about it? He said, but he didn't. And in fact, James would hearken back to his brother's teachings over and over again. Watch, watch, listen, listen to what the Savior of the world has said and how we can be better for it. The whole book of James could be summed up in this one idea we've been seeing each and every week, that our faith is only as legitimate as it's expressed. Through our words, through our deeds, through our actions, our faith is only as legitimate as it's expressed. And today is kind of the closing arguments, the closing statements of this, not really a courtroom trial, but it kind of is, if you will, right? That you want the truth? Well, you can handle the truth. But in some ways, the closing arguments here aren't going to be very harsh. They aren't going to be very direct. Of all the facts that that James has laid out, there's going to be one specific thing. And I feel like in this moment, he's leaning in pastoral. Almost as to say, I know I perhaps have stepped on your toes a little bit. I know for some of you, this has ruffled your feathers. For some, this has really challenged your way of life. The call to deny yourself daily, pick up your cross. I know it's a big one. It's way easier said than done. I know faith isn't always the easiest way to live out life. So let me close with how to make it a reality. 
Let me close with the power of how to make that come true. And he gives one simple phrase. Pray. Just pray about living life in God's world and God's way. Look how James wraps, begins to wrap up his letter. I want to pull our attention to this uh, part of chapter 5, verse 16, as we start this morning. James puts it this way. He simply says this. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Like, man, doesn't that sound awesome? Like, if you, if you raise your hand and say, I am a Christian, isn't that the type of person you want to be? If you belong to this church, isn't that the type of church and people you want us to be? Now, anyone who's been a Christian for any time would probably say, yeah, prayer is important. Prayer kind of has a purpose and a value in our life as disciples and has some sort of role. Even the non-Christian isn't really turned off by prayer. They might be- not believe in God. They might not give God a second thought. But if you offer to pray for them, they're like, yeah, what, what's it going to hurt? Go ahead, pray for me. So it begs the question. So, so just plainly, like what is prayer in the first place? You see, prayer is not some type of magic formula in order to get a genie God to do something on your behalf. You know, like it always makes me think of uh, the movie Aladdin when, when he goes, right, the diamond in the rough and he goes down and he finds the lamp and he rubs it for the first time and the big blue guy voiced by Robin Williams comes out, cracks his neck. Woo, it's been a long time in this itty bitty space. He says, I got to give you three wishes, but you got rules. Number one, he says, I can't kill anyone. Number two, he says, I can't make anyone fall in love. But number three, what he also says, I can't bring anyone back from the dead, mainly because it's a gross thing and I don't really like doing it. See, prayer isn't like we get some wish list to put before God and say, God, here's the list of all the things I want and need you to do in my life. That's not what prayer is, but sometimes we think it is. Prayer is not a wish list given to God. It's also not like an oath in which, well, God, I prayed, therefore you must make it come true. You've got to be a God of your word. But instead, prayer reveals the power of God in our life. You see, prayer proves that the power of God is real because it preserves his presence in our life. Prayer is merely sometimes talking with God. Prayer is sometimes adoring and worshiping God for his goodness and his grace. Sometimes prayer is confessing our sins, is asking God to transform our hearts. Sometimes God, uh, prayer is, is supplicating, intercess, intercessing for others. We can pray to heal the sick, to bring justice, to provide guidance and wisdom over a situation. Ultimately, this is though what prayer is. If we could sum it up for you this morning is this, is that prayer is having God's ear so that he may have our hearts. Prayer is having God's ear, so that he may have our hearts. Therefore, think of it this way, is that your prayer list projects the direction of your faith. That if your prayer list is simply, God, here's what I would like for you to do in my life, well, well, good, you believe in a good father. If your prayer list is purely, God, just here's all the list of people who are sick and need to be healed, and that's it. Well, good, you believe in the great physician. But also, I would say, if your prayer life is, God, transform my heart. So help me to surrender my will over to your will, then you have truly found that he is the Lord of your life. But did you pick up the two clarifiers, though, that James added about prayer? He says, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So in the first instance, it kind of speaks to, so who are the righteous? 
You know, I was on Twitter a few days ago, and I was looking at someone, and something happened. I don't remember what it was specifically, but someone basically tweeted out, oh, I'm sending thoughts and prayers your way. Scroll down one tweet below, and there was some pretty heart, her, heart, <laughs> hurtful and demeaning content being posted about it. And I just thought to myself, man, does this person actually pray? Does this person, does God actually hear those prayers of that person? So it begs the question, who are the righteous in which God hears their prayers? The Apostle Paul offers a, a description of, of those who are declared righteous in his letter to, to the Corinthians. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter, two, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he puts it this way. He says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. That we are declared righteous not because we're super saints. We are declared righteous not because we're some highly moral marys. We are declared righteous for one reason and one reason only is that we have confessed our sin. We have repented of our sin so that Jesus may be our forgiveness. In his life, his death, his resurrection, we are declared righteous only through the work of Christ. That's it. And for a lot of us, that's you. Let me remind you this morning, you are declared righteous because of Jesus and that's it. That's the only reason you're declared righteous. And for some of you, you might not have yet been declared righteous. And I want to implore you to consider, why not? That perhaps today is the day you've been questioning God, you've been looking on your, back on your life, thinking about, man, this life perhaps seems short. What do what I do with it? And it's that. It's like, well, you can be declared righteous through the work of Christ. By faith, through the grace of Jesus, we can be made new, atoned, made right with God for all eternity. But he doesn't just say that that the righteous receive responses in their prayer because God is on their side. At the same time, too, he also says their prayers are powerful and their prayers are effective. Why? Well, it's because prayer isn't about, you know, the power of positive thinking. Prayer isn't about sending good vibes. Prayer isn't, well, I had enough these and thous and shout nots and shout in my prayers, so therefore I'm in the holy language and God must therefore listen to me. It's not some type of formula. But if we were to hearken back to our prayer series we did a while ago, I want to remind you of this, is that the power of prayer is not in our words, but in the presence of God. That prayer is powerful because our God, who is on our side, who is on your side, because of the righteousness of Christ, he is all powerful. And here's where I want to turn our attention to for the rest of the morning. It's this. It's that God is most concerned about the content of our prayers. He's most concerned about the content of our prayers. Well, Eric, are you saying that it's just about quality over quantity? That it doesn't matter how I pray or when I pray or, or how much I pray? I say, no, I'm not saying that. I think it's kind of both. I think I would say the content of the prayer is more important than the how-tos or the quantity of our prayers, but it's kind of like a, we want a quality with a quantity brought together when it comes to our prayer life. And what James does here is he turns to a man in the Old Testament, a prophet by the name of Elisha. He uses his, him as an example and illustration to say, you want to see the proof. 
You want to see someone who's understood how the righteous person has power and effectiveness in their prayer. Let me remind you of Elijah. Look at how James kind of summarizes Elijah's powerful and effective prayers in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 5. James says this, he says, Elijah was a human being, even as we were. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. In case you missed it, here's basically what happened. Elijah was the prophet to the ancient Israelite people. They were doing some dumb things. They were getting in their own way. They were chasing after false gods. They were finding their identity and their wealth. And Elijah was kind of on, sent on behalf of God. Let's get these people in order. All right, Elijah, I'm going to send you down and you have a way to speak to them because they have forgotten to praise me and recognize I'm the one who's in charge and taking control of all of this. They've gone to the false god. They've gone to Baal. They've gone to the Asherah. And we just got to get them back on track. And so the prayers of Elijah as a way to be a wake-up call to the Israelite people were to say, guess what? For three years, three and a half years, there won't be any rain unless I say so. Because my prayers are powerful because I am right with God. Elijah's prayer was to teach them a lesson. Quit relying on yourself. Quit finding your identity in your wealth. Quit turning back and trusting the world over trusting God. It sounds awfully familiar to kind of James's letter to the church he was writing to, does it not? It can sound kind of similar to the way that we act in life from time to time, doesn't it? As I reflect on the letter of James coming to a close and this illustration, this example, in this, this section talking about the power of prayer in the life of Elijah and all through Scripture, I want to end us here in the book of James this morning. What I see is the five C's when it comes to the content of our prayer. Number one is there should be a commitment to prayer. Eric, that sounds kind of weird. You're telling me I should pray about praying. In some ways, I'm like, yeah. Like, I think all of us at some way, if I were to say, hey, how's your prayer life? You might say, ah, it's okay. I wish I prayed more, more fervently, more regularly, more consistently. And in kind of a good spot to say, don't be ashamed to pray about praying. Don't be ashamed to pray to God. God, I'm, I'm not really good at prayer. I have a hard time praying, knowing what to pray about. God, just, just lead me and guide me. But have a commitment to prayer. Pray about praying. If you return to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, when he gives the Lord's prayer, he says, when you pray, not if you pray. He doesn't say, well, if you happen to be in the mood for praying or you happen to find yourself in a praying posture, this then is how you, he just says, no, 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 when you pray, it's an expectation that as a disciple, you are praying. The apostle Paul says to his letter to the church in Thessalonica, he says, pray without ceasing. James even says here about Elijah, that Elijah prayed earnestly. It's a word that means without fail or with complete commitment. You see, there's this odd correlation in the life of someone who's following after God in the commitment of our prayer life and the commitment of our faith. They're kin to one another. And we don't just pray fervently or consistently. We also pray expectantly for God to answer. 
Look at how, how Elijah prayed. I want to turn your attention. I'm going to jump back and forth between James and Elijah here the rest of this morning. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, picking up on this story about Elijah in verse 42, it says this. It says, so Ahab went off, Ahab was the king, to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Verse 33, he says, so go and look toward the sea, he told the servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Verse 45, or sorry, he said, Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, verse 45, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started to fall, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Seven times, it says. Go back seven times. I'm going to pray seven times for this instant. Go look, go listen, watch, watch, listen, listen to what God might be doing here in this moment. I'm going to pray, and if you don't see anything, come back and report, and we're going to do this seven times. If you don't see anything, if you don't get an answer, we're going to keep praying, Elijah says. I think that's so opposite of us sometimes, that often I think our prayers fall short because our commitment to prayer wears thin. That's the first. The second C is the call of repentance. The call of repentance. You know, one of the questions we ask when we're interviewing people coming on our staff is we kind of play this little scene. We say, hey, let's say I'm not a Christian and I came up to you and, and, I, and I want to know how I can become a disciple of Jesus. Well, what do I got to say, do, believe, so on, so on. And we just kind of put it in their court. And always there's a lot of good answers given. Well, you know, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he, he, he uh, died on the cross, um, that he rose from the grave? Do you believe that his spirit is alive? Do you believe that Jesus' way is the best way to live? Yeah, yeah. Ironically, one of the things that we sometimes don't hear regularly, and it's kind of sad, it's maybe somewhat of a burden for us that we had to do better as pastors and teachers of God's word, is some people don't talk about sin and repentance. It's kind of the whole reason Jesus came in the first place is to remind us that we are sinners in need of saving. Look at what James says in chapter 5, 15 and 16 in parts of these verses. He says these words. He says, I'm sorry. He says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Confess your sins and you will be forgiven. Could turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 10. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or Psalm 51. Think of it this way, that the gospel is often called good news. But the only reason we have good news in the first place is because bad news first existed. And doesn't the good news make the bad news kind of dwindle and the good news that much sweeter? That salvation is like honey on our lips. It is sweet because sin is bitter. That salvation is freeing because sin is oppressive. That salvation is life-giving because sin leads to death. And that's what our prayers of repentance ought to be. 
Not this, whoa, woe is me. Here I go again. I messed up. I just can't get life together. Man, I don't know why God even loves me. I'm just a, a horrible human person. No, I mean, that's kind of it. You need to realize your wrongdoing and your sin and repent. But also, repentance is the way to say, well, praise be to God that that's not who I am. Praise be to God that God's love is not dependent on how good I act. Praise be to God that his grace overcomes my sin, that the old me is gone, the new has come. Praise be to God that Jesus has declared me righteous, that our prayers of repentance should always remind our sin that his grace is all the more powerful. Amen? Number three, the third C, is our commission to reach the lost. You hear us talk about the Great Commission quite a bit here as a church. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has risen from the grave. It's in between that 40 days before he ascends back into heaven. He looks at his disciples and he says, now therefore go. And he gives three commands and a promise. Go teach and obey. And the one promise, though, is I will be with you. My spirit will be your guide and your helper. My spirit is promised to you. That helping people find their way back to God is what we are about as a church. Helping each other follow Jesus. And it begins with prayer. But I want you to hear it also doesn't end with prayer. Look what James says in 520. And then Elijah says, we'll jump over to him next and back in, in, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. But James says in 520, he says, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. The, the prophet Elijah in verse uh, 21 and then 36 to 37, he says this. Uh, it says, this is Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between the two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him, which we know is just the one Lord and God. But then in verses 36 and 37, this is what happens next. Is at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. All you have done and all these things are at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. We should have prayers about pointing people back to Jesus. The kingdom-minded disciples should have kingdom-minded prayers that God-centered dreams and vision required God-sized prayers. And God wants his kingdom to grow. He wants his family to increase. And we are commissioned to take part of that with one another and with him in the power of his spirit. And if your prayer life is waning, my greatest challenge to anyone is saying, I just want to feel the power of prayer a little bit more. This is usually the spot where I term, spend time praying for you to be used for people to find Jesus. 
Because there's nothing that's going to fire you up more than when you pray for someone to come to your heart or mind, or you pray for that friend or that neighbor or that coworker to have an opportunity to share your faith, to give the, what the gospel means, to invite them to church, and they finally step foot into the kingdom of God. I will tell you, there's nothing more invigorating. There's nothing that's probably going to pump you up more than praying and seeing the power and the effectiveness of that prayer come to life. If you find yourself stuck in a rut praying... Pray about that. God, who can I point to your son, Jesus, that commission that you've given to me? The fourth C is the character of God. Another way we could put this is who is glorified in your prayers? Jesus said in John chapter 14, I think it's verse 13, he says, so whatever you ask in my name, it will be given to you so that the Father may be glorified. James puts it this way in chapter 5, verse 19. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, they are wandering from the heart of God and must be brought back to the character, the goodness of God. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. John the Baptist even says in John chapter 3, my goal in life is that he may increase and I may decrease. Can I just ask it this way, though? If God answered all your prayers, and we went through your prayer list, he answered all your prayers, would Jesus look more like you? Would Jesus look more like us? Or do we look more like so we have to be careful in our prayers of saying, God, this is what I want you to do. This is what I need you to do. Instead, our prayer should be, God, what do you have me to do? What do you call me to move forward? How can I be obedient to you? That prayer should always be a posture of our heart that we should prostrate ourselves before God. We should never think it's the other way around. We should never think that prayer is getting God to bend to our will, but prayer is about us being willing to surrender our will for his. Think of Elijah here, what James says, right? He was a human just like us. Elijah wasn't a superhuman or a superhero, but he was someone who supernaturally relied on God. God, I know your heart. I know your heart for these people. I know your laws. I know your commands. I know what you require. And so I'm going to pray that. I'm going to pray that these people are turned back to you. See, our prayer ought to look like this. Jesus, make my heart like yours. Jesus, help me to forgive like you forgive. Help me to show grace like you show grace. Help me to love those who you love. May your spirit be my power over sin and temptation, the strength of my life. We should pray for the character of God to be molded and transformed into our heart. And number five, the last C is this, is we need to be praying over the concerns of your heart and of the world around you. You know, I've got two young kids at home, Jude and Avery, and we're trying to instill in them the, the importance of prayer. And every single night, our son Jude, when he prays before bed, he, you know, he puts his hands together and he closes his eyes real tight. And I said, what do you want to pray about? And he always wants to pray for those who are sick. 
And sometimes he's praying for his friends or his classmates who aren't even sick or our relatives or whatever it is. And so for whatever reason, you get sick randomly on a whim, like you're perfectly healthy and you're sick, and then you get better. Well, I guess, you know, because Jude's praying for you for you to get healthy, so you got to get sick for sure. I'm just kidding. That's not how it works. But it's kind of funny that there's this instinctive notion that our son knows to pray for people to be healed because it weighs heavy on his heart. It's his friends. It's those he cares about. James says the same thing. Look at what he, how he kicks off this section of prayer in chapter 5 about in verses 13 through 15. He says, anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. You know, there's some debate here about what that word sick means. Some say it's about physical illness. Some say it refers to a spiritual sickness. Some say it's a little bit of both. And so at this point, you might have questions. Well, Eric, I've tried that. I prayed really, really hard for my loved one to be healed. I prayed what felt like in as much faith as I had for my parent to be healed. I prayed for the sickness of my child to go away, and it didn't. So are you telling me that God doesn't love me? Are you saying that, that God didn't hear my prayer? Are you saying I didn't have enough faith? Because that's a really hard pill to swallow. Here's my answer. My full, truthful, honest answer is this. Is I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good answer other than it's God who gets to decide. Could it be that you didn't have faith? Sure, maybe, I don't know. Could it be just we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world and that was the result? Could also be that. Either way, it's not fun. I get it. I don't have a good answer. But James gives us two little tidbits. He says, number one, the Lord will raise them up and number two, he will forgive. So let me kind of wrap it up that way of saying that every answered prayer is a gift from God. And every unanswered prayer is a gift to trust and have faith in God alone. I don't have an answer. Why didn't he heal that person when we prayed and prayed and prayed? But we can continue to pray about it. I believe we ought to pray about the concerns of our hearts in the world around us, whether that be illness, injustices, inquiries about life or wisdom and guidance, all the things that we care about, God cares about too. So here's the thing. What if, just what if we went to God for truth and comfort or answers in prayer, more so than we do social media, our news outlets, the wisdom of the world, that if we can go to God with the concerns of our hearts, we certainly should be concerned about his will for us as well. As we wrap up the book of James this morning, I want to kind of use those last few minutes as kind of a closing statement for us as a church. Of all that we've said, all that we've heard, all that we've read, these are the type of people we want to be. We want to be people of action, not just people of wise word. We want to be people who have strength to endure trial, but ultimately we want to be people of prayer. Our elders are so focused on us becoming a praying church. That's why they're saying every month we have a prayer initiative and we want to invite our entire church to pray with us together. That we want to take prayer more seriously than ever. 
We want to lean into the power of prayer like never before. And we want to see the effectiveness of our prayer like we've never seen before in the life of our church. Think about that big vision of 5,000 next steps of discipleship. None of that's going to happen without prayer. More people finding Jesus, more people taking a next step of baptism, more people being generous, more people praying for the first time, finding their gifts, using them, whatever it is, all of that, none of that's going to happen without prayer. None of that is going to move forward without the power of the Spirit moving in us through the power of prayer. Right? It doesn't matter how good the music is, how funny the preaching is, it doesn't matter how cute or fun the kids' ministry is, how cool the websites or the graphics are. The only thing that's going to push that vision further, to push Jesus deeper into the hearts of those who desire him, is prayer and prayer alone. Because here's the thing that I know, is we have an enemy trying to tear this whole thing down. You have an enemy trying to tear you down in life trying to distract you with the ways of the world, trying to tempt you to your former life, trying to convince you that your value or worth is not found in the blood of Christ, but is found in your bank account, or is found in your job title, or is found in that relationship, or that sex, or the drug, or the substance, whatever. You have an enemy who is fighting against us day and night. He does not tire. And our only source of strength to push him back is not how good we can be, or how fancy we can make things, or how good uh, the, the songs sound, whatever, our only strength to fight back that enemy, to make sure he does not prevail, is the power of prayer. The power of the Spirit living in you, living through you. And here's the other thing that I know, and hopefully you know too, is that I've read the end. I've seen how it all comes to conclusion. And guess what? Jesus wins. That the king of king reigns, the Lord of Lord triumphs, that the prince of peace is not stopped. And it's not only that Jesus will win someday, far off in the future, that he is winning now. That God is on the move, he is working, that he is winning now. And we better be willing to say, God, we trust you. We see you, we follow you in the best way, perhaps the only way we can actually do that. To fight back in this war is through the power of prayer. Watch, watch, listen, listen, God says, of what I want to do in your life. Watch, watch, listen, listen, eyes and ears, boys and girls, of what I can do in this community of faith. Watch, watch, listen, listen. When the content of your prayer matches the content of my heart, God says, that will be a Christian that cannot be held down. And that will be a church that cannot be stopped from seeing the kingdom of God grow in their own backyard. As we wrap up service this morning, as we conclude uh, the, the message time, we're going to actually here in a few moments provide some space for both communion collectively and prayer together. We're going to give you some time to pray. And the team's going to get ready to come out and do that with us this morning, with you this morning. But as you do, as you go into this time of reflection and prayer, not just in the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, but in the prayer of the Spirit of Christ, I want you to pay attention to where the Spirit may be knocking on your heart. As you go to him in prayer, and I hope that you will in these next few minutes, what is it that the Spirit may be leading you to do? What might he be asking you to surrender to Jesus? 
Maybe it's to give your life to Jesus for the first time to say, God, I want to trust you and not myself. Maybe it's to learn to be generous for the first time or to take that next step of generosity because you know that money has been the king of your heart. Maybe there's a spiritual gift that you've been sensing that you've yet to use. You've just been sitting on it. Maybe there's some bitterness that you need to get rid of. Maybe there's some sin that you need to overcome with the power of the Spirit. I don't know what it is, but I know this for sure, that there's probably something that when we go to God in prayer, if we watch and listen, he will speak to us. Would you join us this morning as we continue to worship God through his body, his blood, and through a time.